Welcome to this week's episode of St. Agnes Quick Talks. To support this podcast, visit churchofstagnes.org and click on the donate button. This week we've invited Kevin O'Brien to speak to us on C.S. Lewis, Myth, and the Abolition of Man. Kevin O'Brien is the founder and artistic director of the Theatre of the Word Incorporated. He has been seen on episodes of EWTN's The Apostle of Common Sense, The Quest for Shakespeare, and The Journey Home. He also portrays J.R. Tolkien in several Tolkien specials hosted by Joseph Pierce, and he has performed and produced over 35 audiobooks. Kevin is a writer and regular contributor to the St. Austin Review, Gilbert Magazine, and he also teaches speech, drama, and literature for Homeschool Connections. His latest book, An Actor Bows, Showbiz God and the Meaning of Life, is available from ACS Books. I may not be J.R.R. Tolkien, but I play him on TV in many EWTN specials on Tolkien hosted by Joseph Pierce. And in this quick talk, I will not only briefly portray J.R.R. Tolkien, but also C.S. Lewis. I will at least impersonate them. But don't get your hopes up. The friendship between Tolkien and Lewis is legendary. They were both members of the famous literary club, the Inklings, which met in Oxford at a pub for many years, and they critiqued one another's writings. Tolkien listening to passages from Narnia as Lewis was writing the Chronicles, and Lewis listening to passages from The Lord of the Rings as Tolkien was writing his epic. Perhaps it was this bond of friendship that Lewis felt with Tolkien and the other Inklings that encouraged him to observe... To the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. Or, in Lewis's voice, To the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life in the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. Well, at least I got that out of my system. I told you not to get your hopes up. Tolkien, as you'll hear in a minute, is even harder to understand. Indeed, it was Tolkien's friendship with Lewis that was one of the culminating factors in Lewis's conversion from atheist to Christian. Perhaps the most dramatic moment in Lewis's conversion was a talk Lewis, Tolkien, and fellow inkling Hugo Dyson had on a September night in 1931, when for hours they discussed a number of things, including the relationship between truth and myth and the Christian faith, which is what I want to focus on in this quick chat. Lewis that night insisted that the word myth was synonymous with untrue story. Myths were lies, Lewis asserted to Tolkien. Lies breathed through silver, but still lies. By the way, that's a wonderful phrase. Lies breathed through silver, but still lies. Tolkien's response to this view can be seen not only in what he told Lewis that evening in 1931, but in a poem he wrote in response to Lewis's position called Mythopoeia, and indeed, in his entire life's work, which demonstrated what every fan of myth 
fiction, drama, and story already knows that stories can be a way of approaching and embodying truth, which incidentally is why Jesus Christ our Lord used parables and participated himself in the great story of his life, the great story of our salvation. Tolkien said in so many words that our imagination is a gift of God and that in exercising it, we are showing forth a function that is lesser than, but analogous to, God's function as creator. God imagines us, so to speak, makes us in his image, and our own imagination is an echo of that faculty in God. God is the creator. Our dignity, made as we are in the image and likeness of God, is to be sub-creators. We cannot make, as God does, ex nihilo, something out of nothing, but we can remake and fashion what the prime maker has made. And in doing this, we show forth the creator. We make because we are made in the image of a God who made us. But is this an entirely good thing? Isn't this gift of sub-creative imagination subject to misuse? Do we makers always make good things? Obviously not. Sometimes we make mountains out of molehills, or we make a mess of things, but we remain makers all the same. In fact, Tolkien asserts that language itself gives us the power to play around with reality in ways that are either good or bad. For instance, Tolkien, the philologist, points to the typically unnoticed creative power of the part of speech known as the adjective. What are adjectives? Well, for those of you who have forgotten your grade school grammar, adjectives are modifiers of nouns, words that describe things. Tolkien writes, quote, The mind that thought of the adjectives light, heavy, gray, yellow, still, swift, also conceived of magic that would make heavy things light and able to fly, turn gray lead into yellow gold, and the still rock into a swift water. If it could do the one, it could do the other. It inevitably did both. When we can take green from grass, blue from heaven, and red from blood, we have already an enchanter's power upon one plane, and the desire to wield that power in the world external to our minds, awakes. It does not follow that we shall use that power well upon any plane. We may put a deadly green upon a man's face and produce a horror. We may make the rare and terrible blue moon to shine, or we may cause woods to spring with silver leaves and rams to wear fleeces of gold and put hot fire into the belly of the cold worm, producing the dragon. But in such fantasy, as it is called, 
new form is made, fairyland begins. Man, the story-maker, becomes a sub-creator. Unquote. Now, I would not have had to say quote and unquote there if I had read that long passage in Tolkien's voice, but that would have sounded like this. But in such fantasies, it's called New Forms Made. Fairyland begins, man, the story maker, becomes a sub-creator. As you can see, it's best that I suppress my impressions and simply go on with the talk. Tolkien there was talking about the formation of the idea of magic and how that's inherent even in language itself. I would say that Tolkien's argument of the power of the imagination, either to lead to the truth or to lead to a disturbing parody of the truth or a disturbing attempt to manipulate what is actually there, either way, this concept made a deep impression on C.S. Lewis that evening in 1931 and long after. Regarding the first, the ability of imagination, myth, and story to approach the deepest truths of reality honestly, Lewis wrote, quote, Now the story of Christ is simply a true myth. A myth working on us in the same way as the others, but with this tremendous difference that it really happened. Unquote. All myths point to the true myth, Christ. All stories point to the greatest story ever told, the life of Christ, the climax of salvation history. Tolkien, in fact, says elsewhere that the happy ending that gives the heart of the reader a mysterious lift at the end of fairy stories is something he calls Evangelium, which is a Latin word for a Greek word meaning the gospel or good news. This Evangelium in fairy stories and myths gives, quote, a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. There's another great phrase, poignant as grief, unquote. Myths Fairy tales and stories can therefore bring us closer to God and to the mysteries of life. But they can also do the opposite, as Tolkien pointed out earlier when he spoke of our use of adjectives stirring up the desire to be magicians. And if this is true of parts of speech, it's certainly true of deliberately crafted and complex stories. Man, the sub-creator, can sub-create hells as well as heavens, the sub-created hell I'm talking about would be a false fiction, a fiction oriented away from truth, a sub-created world that eclipses the real one, an unreality, a self-contained system cut off from God and thus cut off from meaning and as far as possible from reality itself. To explain what I mean, imagine at one extreme madness the unintentionally sub-created world of the madman, is completely self-contained. It is a work of the diseased imagination that bears no resemblance to reality, but is nonetheless internally consistent. If you are a paranoid schizophrenic who believes that shape-shifting lizard people control the world and are spying on you, every detail you notice will confirm your mistaken belief. And if you encounter someone from outside of your closed sub-reality who denies that he or she is 
a lizard person. That denial might actually prove that they are one, since all lizard people vehemently deny being lizard people. Your premise is wrong, but your logic is irrefutable. A madman, writes G.K. Chesterton, is not someone who has lost his reason, but someone who has lost everything but his reason. It is this diseased use of the imagination and of reason that C.S. Lewis writes about in his book The Abolition of Man. He is dealing there not with myths that bring us closer to the truth, but with the myths that take us further away from it. And he focuses on the main false myth of our time, subjectivism, or what Pope Benedict called the dictatorship of relativism. Everything is relative. Since there is no reality, we can make whatever unreality we choose. Man can destroy who he is and remake himself at will, not in the image of God, but in whatever strange and possibly perverse arbitrary image he chooses, the kind of dark magic of the imagination Tolkien described earlier. And while you might imagine, dear listener, that this relativist creation of secondary realities is a project of the so-called progressives only, you are quite wrong. This is a big problem in the modern world, but it's not a problem only with the left. It's also a problem with the right. Certainly the left embraces this abuse of imagination and this misuse of the powers of fiction, most notably in their denial of the nature of sex, making even male and female categories of arbitrary self-creation. You assert whatever of the 10,004 genders you choose to be, and in their denial of the plain evidence that an unborn baby is a living human being. Of course, not only is sex merely arbitrary and made up by our own desire for fiction, but so is the existence of that inconvenient thing inside a woman's womb. But the right does much the same as the left, only in different areas. Take, for instance, the case of Brian Hitchens, a rideshare driver from Florida during the height of the coronavirus crisis. Brian Hitchens denied that the virus was real, claiming that it was a ruse by the government to take away our civil liberties. MyStateLine.com reports what Brian Hitchens says. I thought it was maybe the government trying something. It was kind of like they threw it out there to kind of distract us, said Hitchens. His response? I'd get up in the morning and pray and trust in God for his protection, and I'd just leave it at that. There were all these masks and gloves. <laughs> I thought it looked like a hysteria. Of course, at the time, we were all hearing conflicting reports about the virus and its effects, and Hitchens' personal unreality contained some elements of truth. Our government has shown it typically cannot be trusted. Scientists are famously not always right. But he deliberately ignored other elements of truth that did not fit well into his imaginary and arbitrary sub-creation, his myth. There was, for instance, Italy and the meltdown of their health care system due to COVID-19. There was also New York City, which saw seven times the number of monthly deaths during the height of the COVID crisis than it did before. Had those facts, those elements of reality outside of Hitchens' sub-reality, been included in Brian Hitchens' frame of reference, he would not have behaved the way he did, relying on magical thinking 
and putting himself at risk, because Hitchens has since come down with COVID, as has his wife. Hitchens has recovered. His wife is on a ventilator. If it was me that gave it to my wife, says Hitchens, I know that she forgives me, and I know that God forgives me. This sounds a bit glib, but Hitchens is doing a kind of penance, using social media and interviews to warn everyone that the virus is, in fact, real. Because as Hitchens now implicitly admits, our arbitrary, self-contained, false stories are dangerous, and deliberately creating them is, in a way, kind of crazy. Almost as crazy as the madman who is running from lizard people. As crazy as believing that boys are not boys and girls are not girls, or that a baby is not a baby. It's as crazy as taking green from grass, blue from the sky, and red from blood, and putting them on the wrong things for a merely morbid thrill. I would go even further and say that we should pay more attention to J.R.R. Tolkien's theories of myth and fairy tales, his insights into imagination and sub-creation, and C.S. Lewis's reaction to them, for, in neglecting an awareness of the God-given gift of imagination and its power for both good and evil, we are neglecting an awareness of how we humans spin webs of both truth and falsehood, and what consequences getting drawn into those webs entails. I will end with a selection from Tolkien's poem that he wrote in response to his 1931 night talk with Lewis, Mythopoeia, in which he asserts not only the blessings and the dangers of our story-making abilities, but also how this gift, imagination used or misused, connects us to the creative power of God. Man is sub-creator, and the refracted light through him is splintered from a single white to many hues, and endlessly combined in living shapes that move from mind to mind. Though all the crannies of the world we filled with elves and goblins, though we dared to build gods and their houses out of dark and light, and sow the seeds of dragons, t'was our right, used or misused. The right has not decayed. We make still by the law in which we're made.